Good morning, everybody. Welcome to LaSalle Street Church, where you can come as you are and stay where you are. <laughs> At least I hope you're staying where you are. If you were listening to this on March 22nd, 2020, you may in fact be under a mandatory shelter in place mandate, which I have to say is a phrase I had never heard before until the last couple of weeks, right? Shelter in place, it has this kind of starry-eyed sound to it, doesn't it? Sort of like when you're hiking and then the rains come up suddenly and they're right in front of you is this outcropping of rock and so you drag this warm beverage from your knapsack and you huddle under there and you wait on the rain to pass. Well, you Oak Parkers out there know that this is not that, right? That this shelter in place is a mandatory shutdown, emerge only on necessary business quarantine. And by the time you actually hear this on Sunday morning, Chicago might be on the same space. One of the things that we've done quickly at LaSalle is get some avenues up and running for care and community to happen. And on our webpage, we have a bunch of updates in that banner at the top. You see it right there, the COVID-19 tab. Lucas is going to be running through those announcements at the end of this broadcast. But I want to highlight just a couple of ways of engaging. One is this daily morning meditation group. We've been at it for a while, 6.30 every morning. To anybody who's there, just log in. You'll find us there. Also, for kind of a social outlet nearing the end of the day, we've got the 4 o'clock holy happy half hour. Yeah, it's tough to say very quickly. The holy happy half hour. And then starting this week, we've got a more contemplative gathering that'll be happening in the early evening. It'll be a time for scripture and support and prayer. And so look for that. We'll have that up on our webpage by the time that you're looking at it on Sunday afternoon. Check out our Facebook page. News is there. You guys have really stepped up. There have been some really powerful stories coming out of this week, and I'll share them in the course of this message. But first, I want to return to this scripture text that we heard read. And uh, it's a super familiar one, right? Um, Last week, we had the golden rule. We all kind of knew that. Somewhere in the New Testament is that golden rule. Jesus saying, do to others what you would have them do to you. Well, this morning's story is almost as as familiar, isn't it? It's the feeding of the 5,000. And I'm throwing this slide up just because it's a laugh, and I think we all need a laugh right now. It comes after a long day of teaching and healing. In fact, it's been a long window of teaching and healing, and it happens with a crowd in a desperate, desolate place, and Jesus feeds these thousands of hungry people with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Well known, often told. But this popular story, for me, held some really interesting truths this past week, particularly pertinent, it felt like, for our time and our place. So let me walk this through with you for a few minutes, starting at verse 10. We often start telling this story with uh, the, the bread and the fish arriving and Jesus blessing it, but, but actually, it's interesting to back it up a little bit. Um, And at verse of 10, at the top of that verse, you can see there, when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. 
Well, the obvious question, right, is where had they returned from and what, in fact, had they been doing that they found so fascinating and exciting that they wanted to tell Jesus, quote, everything, right? Well, we're given that earlier in the text. If you look up just to uh, the first verse there of Luke chapter 9, Jesus called together his 12 disciples and he gave them power and authority to cast out demons, to heal all diseases. And then scoot down just to verse 6. They went out and they preached the gospel and healed the sick. Okay, well noted. That's pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? That's like taking on the powers and principalities kind of stuff. No wonder they wanted to come back and tell Jesus everything. This was a time to get back into the huddle, to go through the playbook. Back to verse 10. So they wanted probably to steal away with Jesus. That's what came to me when I thought about that. They slipped away quietly. It was that old spiritual, steal away, steal away to Jesus. So much is conveyed to me in that phrase that they slipped quietly away. Comfort, solitude, feels like this beautiful shelter in place moment, doesn't it? They came back and they wanted to tell Jesus everything. But Verse 11, the crowds find him. They figure out that Jesus and his company had quietly slipped away and they figure out where they are. And en masse, tens, hundreds, then thousands of thousands of people find Jesus and the 12 disciples in that remote place. Uh, well, now we've reached our present moment, right? <laughs> The many are here. <laughs> they, they've come, the hordes have come, the Huns have crossed the frozen Rubicon River heading for Rome. The stampede for toilet paper begins. <laughs> Maybe you know this story, gun sales have spiked 40% in the last week. In LA, the lines were around the block. In Idaho, stores began to limit the sales of ammo and weapons. Same thing in Illinois. Somehow, I don't think all those bullets are just for the occasional rabbit. They're for something else, right? Fear? Worry the unknown? The frightening prospect that they may have to use bullets on what? What exactly? Dare we say it out loud? Maybe to shoot their neighbor? Back to verse 11, the text says that when the crowds found Jesus, he welcomed them. Apodekamai is the word in the Greek. To welcome, he received them just as they were. Welcomed the needy, the insistent, the hungry, the hopeful. 
Jesus gave them access to himself. He didn't see the crowds as a distraction. He didn't see their needs as an irritation. He didn't see them as a problem to solve. He simply welcomed them. That image of Jesus welcoming all who came to him. While the disciples perhaps to continue to hope that things were different, really stayed with me this week. I got to the part there in verse 12 and 13 where the disciples come to Jesus and they just ask him to send them away. <laughs> Are we done with them? <laughs> you know our Lord's response. You feed them. Feed them? With what? With these five loaves of bread, these two flimsy fish? And then Jesus divides the crowd into groups of 50. And you know this. So the people sat down and Jesus took the five loaves and he took the two fish and he looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. And he broke the loaves into pieces and he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Careful readers may remember that it's only in Luke's gospel that gives that interesting detail that Jesus wanted them to sit in groups of 50. People likely sitting together with their family units or maybe whomever they were randomly standing next to when the word came out, when it got started. Luke also doesn't tell us where the fish and the bread come from. That famous detail of the little boy sharing is actually only found in John's gospel. There's an interesting detail to think about there too, isn't there? Perhaps there were a few people who heard the call that there's a lot of hungry people here. Do you have anything? Please share. Maybe there were only a couple of people who had a little bit and gave it up. And maybe in those groups of 50, people with whom there was some camaraderie, some sense of shared space, shared air, maybe, a few more people started to open their knapsacks and maybe they pulled out a little more and a little more. And Jesus kept passing and people kept passing, and perhaps before they were even fully aware, because after all, the crowd was large, and there isn't some sort of massive message system, and no one actually knows anything at the exact same point in time. So maybe before they even knew that there was a miracle underway, people ate, and they were all fed. Well, what does that feel like to you? There are some who believe that the only way of reading this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is to imagine Jesus raising his hands to heaven and magically pulling bread and fish from his cloak. I got to be honest. That doesn't actually increase my faith too much. 
and makes Jesus to me into more of a magician than a savior. To me, the thought that Jesus took what was there, five loaves of bread, two limp fish, and in faith blessed them and blessed those people and trusted the power of God would come down and that they would rise up and believe it, and that one after the other after the other, they would physically extend that blessing of God to one another. <laughs> that to me is truly the miracle. Well, the title of the, surgeon, the sermon is uh, The Contagion. And you may be wondering why it is here I am at the end of it and I haven't even mentioned it yet. Well, it's this. Sharing is contagious, as is fear and anxiety, as is worry, and weirdly enough, I'm convinced physical ailments. <laughs> How many of us right now are experiencing coughs? <laughs> Everything from a stuffy nose to, God forbid, a scratchy throat, right? This low-grade anxiety is catchy, but so is kindness and generosity, and respect, and concern. Scientists tell us that there are physical reasons for this. It's called mirror neurons. Different parts of our brain fire up when we see people doing actions, which we then in turn start to mimic. You've got time, look it up if you want to know more about that. It's fascinating, mirror neurons. Likewise, researchers like this guy, Nicholas Christakis, a sociologist who works at that intersection of biosocial science. Christakis is the guy who studies the contagion effect, <laughs> that phenomena that yours and my behavior is impacted not just by what our friends do, but by what the friends of our friend do. You know, in a simple way that I can visualize, it's like that old Newton's cradle image. You know, that, that where one ball strikes another and then that momentum puts another ball in motion. The action of two people removed from us exerts a force that affects our friend that goes on to affect us that we then turn and affect the next one down the line. This is a welcome and feed them kind of moment. We need that kind of generosity to be contagious, right? I talked with Jennifer Jones last week. She is the co-owner with her husband, Brian, of Dose Urban Cantina, that I know a lot of you frequent because I see you there when I am there. Last week, they gathered with their employees to ask how they could share their perishable food now that the restaurants are closed for dining. Three employees came in on their own time. They cooked, they packaged, and they distributed to share that food with the shelters and local families in need. At a time of great personal challenge, personal insecurity, they were literally blessing and feeding the other. On Wednesday, some of you know this story if you've been in the meditation group. On Wednesday, I got word that there was a member here 
who for the last few weeks had been 24-7 by her husband's hospital bed. She was told to leave the VA hospital immediately. A COVID-19 patient was arriving. But she was really nervous about leaving her husband in his dementia-reduced state, worried about how he was going to reach her. So she put out there a Hail Mary pass, <laughs> asking could somebody bring her a phone with a prepaid card in it. And within 30 to 45 minutes, we'd located somebody at Target who would have the phone ready. Another Oak Parker, two of them in fact, rose to the challenge of picking up this phone in a tight time frame, getting it to Susan so that she could feel at peace leaving that VA hospital. A fraught wife experienced love in action. She felt the care of people coming around her. It was a contagious power, wasn't it? Also on Wednesday, another LaSalle out of the blue called to see, was there anything we could do, she could do to help Breaking Bread deliver meals? Ironically, just maybe an hour earlier, I'd heard from a senior who really needed the meal. That's what she said, I need that meal tonight. And this random person, a random LaSalle who doesn't know any of the seniors necessarily, more than maybe a, a face in the pew, came over early, picked up designated meals, and hand-delivered them at the front desk of the senior buildings right around the church. Kindness, right? Welcome, right? It's contagious. Jesus welcomed and he gave. And right now he's inviting us to do the same. To remember we are blessed. To remember that this whole world is blessed. To remember that we can stand and welcome our neighbors. This was sent to me by Heather Breams, who's in our meditation group and our four o'clock group. It's Martin Luther <clears throat> writing to Reverend Dr. John Hess, also a reformer. He says this, I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine, and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order not to become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me, and I have done what he has expected of me. I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person that will go freely. This is such a God-honoring faith because it's neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. May that same sentiment be said of us. May we be bold, but not foolhardy. 
May we be brave. May we never tempt God, but may at any point when our neighbor has need, we'll never avoid place or person, but go freely.